In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, this is speaking of physical intimacy within the marriage relationship. It says, Do not defraud one another, except with mutual consent, for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. That abstaining is to lead into fasting and prayer for the seeking of God, to remove all distractions. Children here this morning, have your parents ever taken your electronics away? Maybe your toys or your TV, your movies. Not as a punishment, because I'm sure that happens, as a consequence of your actions. But have they ever set you down and say they just want to help you understand discipline, to, to help you step away from those things and not to let those things consume you? It is a form of fasting. To teach you the discipline to listen. We abstain from these things in our adult lives. We as parents limit our children because these things take our attention. Because these things distract from our relationship, our communion with God. So, what is fasting? Again, specifically, to abstain from food religiously. More broadly, to abstain from anything that distracts us. Let's face it this morning. We live in a world of distractions. We have a lot in this world today to take our attention. Those things can easily come between us and God. Go back to the basics of food. I've shared before you many times about my being driven by food at times. Something that the Lord has delivered me from. But it was, it was an idol in my heart at times. And we can make a lot of other things idols. And it's, we're not fasting just to remove the idol, not to just beat ourselves into submission, but to help ourselves focus on something else. If we know that the food is out of the picture for a meal or for a time, then we can focus on something else. If we know that Facebook's out of the picture, we know that the cell phone is set aside, then we can focus on God and we can look to God, having knowing that we've set that apart for a time. We, though, live in a world of instant gratification. We want things now. We live in a fast food world, don't we? If that's fasting, then the question is, why do we fast? Why fast? Are we commanded to fast in Scripture? The only fast in Scripture that is commanded is the one connected with the Day of Atonement. In Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29... And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. And that may be a different version that's up on the screen. I think I copied and pasted the wrong one in my notes, but you get the idea. This word to afflict is a Hebrew expression that included the forsaking of food as an act of self-denial. The fast that is spoken of here was a national fast. It was a nationwide fast. It involved every man, woman, and child in the nation of Israel. But it only occurred one time per year. 
and then only as a part of the Day of Atonement. And because the validity of the Day of Atonement ceased, the purpose of the Day of Atonement ceased when Jesus sacrificed once and for all on the cross, the single occasion for fasting has ceased to exist. That one time it was commanded in Scripture has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. In this, in His will, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus, the Christ once for all. And because it is not elsewhere commanded by God, fasting is unlike giving and praying, as we've already mentioned. There's many commands in both Testaments toward those principles, toward those disciplines. And both the Old and the New Testament speak favorably of fasting. They don't command it. And they record many instances of fasting by believers. But except for that yearly fast just mentioned, it's nowhere required. It's not a commanded discipline. That's just a fact in Scripture. And beyond that, fasting is shown to be an entirely voluntary act, an entirely voluntary principle. It's not a spiritual duty to be regularly observed. We're not commanded to do it. So why did the scribes and Pharisees fast? Chapter 6, verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. He goes on to say, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. There's that same statement again. They have received their reward. They wanted the acknowledgement of man. They got the acknowledgement of man. If their hearts aren't changed, that's all they're getting. Just like giving and praying, they did it for attention. The phrase, and when you fast, supports the understanding in the, in the base language, supports the understanding that fasting is not commanded. It is voluntary. But when it is practiced, it is to be regulated according to Christ's principles, according to Christ's example. Again, these guys, the scribes and the Pharisees, they wanted attention. That's why they were fasting. In fact, to illustrate that even more clearly, looking at the historical accounts and, and of, of the culture, these scribes and Pharisees, the Pharisees, they fasted twice a week, usually on the second and the fifth days of the week. Now, to elevate it, to get them even more praise, they claim that those days were chosen because they were the days that Moses the two separate days that Moses made the trek up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. Made themselves sound very holy, didn't it? But the amazing thing is that those two days, the second and the fifth day, happened to be the two busiest days at the market. The major Jewish market days. They knew that if they fasted and came in looking miserable, those two days in the market, they were going to get the most attention. That's why they did it. Well, if that's how we're not supposed to fast, how does Jesus instruct us to fast? Well, not for the attention of man. 
Verse 17, chapter 6, verse 17. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will, will reward you. Fasting is not a discipline that you simply put on by not eating. It's not just a bearing down and refusing to eat. Proper fasting, just like any discipline, any work that comes out of a converted heart, comes out of your heart. It comes from deep within. It's spurred by a heart that is sensitive and seeking God. A heart that is crying out for God, for Him to work in a specific situation. Fasting is mentioned over 30 times in the New Testament. Jesus' disciples, although, did not fast while he was with them. Because fasting is associated primarily with times of mourning and other times of spiritual need or anxiety. And this is illustrated in Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. It says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Fasting is appropriate for us now because Christ is physically absent from us. He is here in our our hearts He dwells within us, but He's not physically present with us. He doesn't dwell here on the earth with us us at this time. Historically, fasting occurred during times of sorrow, as I said. When God caused the first child to be born to Bathsheba by David, He caused him to become ill. David fasted while he pled for that infant's life. He also fasted when Abner died. David even fasted on behalf of his enemies. Overwhelming danger also often prompted fasting. King Jehoshaphat proclaimed a national fast in Judah when they were threatened by their enemies. But with an attack from the Moabites and the Ammonites. He led the nation in fasting and seeking God through that. From a human standpoint, this nation, Judah could not possibly have won against their enemies. And they cried out to God for help. They were forsaking food as they did this. Then you have Queen Esther. Her servants and all the Jews in the capital city of Susa fasted for three full days before she went before the king to seek for the Jews to be spared from Haman's wicked scheme. I encourage you, if you've not read the book of Esther, to read that book in the Bible. If you think the Bible's not interesting, and I pray that no one here this morning has that opinion, but I encourage you to read the book of Esther 
and many other accounts in the Old Testament of how these saints of God acted out their faith and their trust in God. Esther fasted. She led, she threw her uncle, Mordecai, instructed and, and led her people in a time of fasting to prepare her to seek God's intercession for her as she went forward. Fasting is a focusing and a seeking for the discernment of God. Penitence was often accompanied by fasting. David fasted under his double sin of committing adultery with Bathsheba and then having her husband, Uriah, sent to the battle to be killed. Daniel fasted as he prayed for God to forgive the sins of his people. And he also used it in seeking the will of God for discernment in how he was supposed to serve God in obedience. Daniel chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem. Namely, 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. We often, as believers, I'll speak for myself, often fail to understand God's Word as fully as we should. It's not because it's incomplete. It's simply because unlike those great people of God who we just mentioned a few of, we do not seek to understand that with their degree of intensity, their degree of determination, skipping a few meals might be the small price that we would willingly pay for the privilege to stay in the Word until understanding comes. Fasting also accompanied the beginning of an important task or a ministry. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights before he was tempted in the wilderness. The early church sought direction through fasting. Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from you Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have challenged them, for the work for which I have called them. And then after fasting, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. As those, as those two men of God that were sent off ministered God's word, they also prayed and fasted throughout their ministry. As they appointed elders in the church that they had fa- churches that they founded. In every scriptural account, general, genuine fasting is linked with prayer. You can pray without fasting, but you cannot fast biblically without praying. 
Fasting is also linked with a pure heart. It must also be associated with obedient, godly living. If it's not a heart of obedience, a heart that is seeking God, the fasting will not be effective. There can be no right fasting apart from a right heart, right living, and a right attitude. And those things come only from a relationship with Jesus Christ. We can't come to the throne of God in whatever manner unless we have been converted, unless we have a true relationship with Jesus Christ that is available through us by His grace, through His sacrifice, through the finished work of His shed blood and His broken body on the cross at Calvary. That's the power that we have to come before God. Fasting is a tool to seek that wisdom, to seek that power. This morning, have you ever fasted? There may be some in in here this morning who have never fasted. Do you feel guilt for not fasting? Don't. That's from the enemy. Again, as we said, fasting is not mandated. Fasting is available as a tool. If you are awakened to a desire to understand fasting further this morning, be in prayer about that. Ask God to show you. Cross-reference the the scriptures and the accounts in scripture of those who participated in fasting, of, of who we just mentioned a few of this morning. Understand that this time of fasting is a beautiful time. I went through seasons in my life where I have... Um, embrace the discipline of fasting. I went through seasons over a period of time where I didn't embrace it. Different seasons, different times. But it is a gift. It's not a mandated thing. So don't let Satan take this beautiful gift and distort it and to put guilt upon you because you're not participating in it. But seek God and ask Him how you could apply it in your spiritual life, how you could utilize it in your spiritual growth. See, see the beauty in it. The, power, the beauty of fasting to help you through times of sorrow. The beauty of fasting to help you through times of discernment. The beauty of fasting to help you in times of focusing your worship and clearing your mind. It's a tool. It's not mandatory. It's a beautiful, beautiful tool. It is a tool for deeper fellowship with God. We talked about prayer and how it is a gift for us to communicate. And it is commanded. It is mandated. Fasting is just another piece of that to deepen our fellowship with God. This morning, we are going to participate as a congregation in a time of remembering that fellowship with God. As we come to the communion table this morning, we remember the beauty of fellowship, the gift of fellowship, the unhindered relationship that is available to us as we remember the gift of Christ that empowers us to have the fellowship, that intercedes for us, that, crosses, that creates the bridge for us to fellowship with the God who created us. We invite each of you this morning, fellow believers in the finished work of Jesus Christ, to join us in this this time of remembrance this morning at the communion table.
Jesus himself led the disciples in the first communion. In Matthew start, chapter 26, starting in verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for forgiveness of sins. This practice is a reminder and celebration of what Christ did for us on the cross by dying for our sins and thus satisfying the wrath of God, the wrath that was due us because of our sins. He took upon Him because of His greatness, because of His holiness. It finalized His life of perfect obedience, fulfilling every promise of God. Securing our salvation and making a way of reconciliation between us and God. And securing the future kingdom of God. Remember, God's kingdom is coming down to this earth. And Jesus' sacrifice secured that possibility, that reality. And he he secured our inheritance in that kingdom. We are adopted into that kingdom because of the shed blood and broken body of Jesus Christ. Christ's death on the cross was the climax of the Old Testament and the central theme of the new. Psalms 85 verse 10. God's righteousness and his peace kissed at the cross. God's love and justice were both fully manifested in the death of His Son. They were complete. They came together in unison to finish the work of Christ. So this morning, we come to the communion table joyful that the gospel of Jesus Christ not only saves us for eternity, but also enables us to continue in obedience to our Father in heaven. Because of Christ's sacrifice, we have an eternal hope. Not a wishful hope, but an expectation of the finished work of Jesus Christ. At this time, I would invite Misty to come forward and to play play some songs for us as we take a time of reflection, a time to look into ourselves, a time to set aside the distractions of this world, And to seek in prayer, in personal meditation, what God is seeking to speak to you this morning before we come to this communion table. So as Misty plays, please be in a personal time of prayer.
Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the gift of your Son. Thank you, Lord, that it is by his finished work, by his shed blood, by his broken body, that we are saved, Father. I pray that each heart is open, each heart is pliable to hear what you're saying to each of us here this morning, Father. And I pray your blessing as we come to this communion table together, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.